Okay. Let's get, let me give this answer again. All right, guys. Thanks. Uh, thanks for your patience. Um, <laughs> um, all right, good. Yeah, my facial expressions were pretty cool. Good. Um, oh, and this is interesting. Now it looks like it's not willing to uh, pop up the chat thing, and I am not going to um, get into a big thing about that right now. I... We're just going to have to go with it, and I will read out the questions as I go. I had it set up to pop the questions up on the screen, and I am not going to uh, go back and try to debug that now that we have the sound figured out. So, okay, the LAPD. Uh, the question was, um, okay, cool, thank you. Um, oh, gifting memberships. That's I didn't know you could do that. That's awesome. Huh. Cool. All right. Yes, we're going to make this go right. Um, so uh, is the LAPD still in bed with church Scientology? Leah and, uh, and Claire went and visited them. And my answer is that the church Scientology has spent years developing um, relationships with the LAPD and other civic authorities in order to make good with them. And if any organization at all would be, it would be in their best interest to do that sort of thing. And in Scientology, it's called PR area control or safe pointing. They create safe points around them uh, to operate. And, um, and that is, I'm so paranoid about the sound. Now I just keep checking in to make sure that the sound is on. Um, and that may, that's a sensible sort of policy to operate on, except, of course, we have to ask or question Scientology's intentions because they are a nefarious organization. And, um, and that is, and, you know, what do we mean by that? Well, when given an opportunity, we have seen, and it's now been proven in court, that the Church of Scientology will cover up for the criminal activities of their members. And that's no good. That's no good at all. And so we can look at this influence that Scientology has been developing with the LAPD over the years, and we can see that, it's, that it is nefarious, that it is being done for purposes of getting a heads up, of making cozy, of getting in good with the LAPD when it really counts. And uh, times like the Masterson case or other times that you guys maybe have never heard anything about it was good for them because the LAPD helped them cover stuff up or not have to deal with stuff or not make things public, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, thank you for the, the, the membership stuff going on there. That's awesome. Um, okay, so, yes, the Church of Scientology absolutely has a level of undue influence with the LAPD. They pay them. They service them. They do things, right? They've been, they, like I said, they've been making nice and when it comes to things like the Masterson trial, that then makes the LAPD, um, you would think, you know, because the LAPD had to investigate Masterson and then testify against him and then put him away. And that was them doing their job. And we appreciate it when the LAPD does their job. And, um, and so we want to also acknowledge the fact that they're not so in Scientology's pocket that they don't do 
you know, the usual routine things. And John Poe and I were going over this exact thing the other night where it was reported by Asher that maybe the LAPD was um, negligent or even, um, you know, doing things badly on purpose or mucking up the missing persons report on Shelley. And I think we showed that uh, actually it wasn't quite as bad as it was reported. But does that mean that, you know, it's right that it's that it's uh, that that Shelley should be hiding away and that the police shouldn't do anything about it? No, of course not. Um, so it's a it's a you know, it's a difficult situation. It gets complicated when you actually get into the details. There was a really interesting um uh, saying or, or something somebody said the other day that, that uh, oh, well, Mythbusters. <laughs> it was Adam Savage from Mythbusters. I was watching a YouTube video and he said, he said with science or like with all things, you know, it, things look really clear from a distance, but when you start zooming into the details, it gets murky. It gets not so clear. Um, and that tends to be how it is with a lot of things, where once you start really getting into the, the deets, you start finding out that um, it's not anywhere near as black and white as we would like to imagine it could be or should be. Um, okay, so let us, now that I've successfully answered that question, let's go back up here and see what's coming in in the comments on this stream here. Uh, oh, good, good, good. Okay, thank you, guys. Um, <laughs> thanks, John. <laughs> yeah, started the chat-a-thon with the mic turned off. Okay. Um, yeah, search Scientology being nefarious. Okay, good, good, good. Um, thank you, Juliana, for gifting five memberships. There it is. Very, very nice of you. Um all right, let's keep going. Here's a question. Um, huh, okay, again, I can't throw this up on the screen. But Tawny Cameron asks, do you think DM is worried that his wife may be used by independent Scientologists for a coup to take over Scientology as she appears from wherever she is? I'm going to, uh, my first thought is absolutely not that, no, no way. But let me think about that for a second. There is an idea that has been, that has been forwarded, I can't remember exactly from who, that Shelley Miscavige could be the one person who could incite a rebellion or coup against Miscavige. I don't know how true that is. And the reason I don't know how true that is is because look what happened when Shelley disappeared. Nothing happened. Nothing at all. Nobody said a word. She was banished from the international base, uh, what, back in 2004 or 5 or 6 or 7 or whatever, you know, somewhere in there. Um, and nobody batted an eye. Nobody said a thing. And she dutifully went up to CST, um, and she started working up there and waiting, you know, as is Miscavige and the other staff, I guess, or some of them at least, you know, continuing to wait for Hubbard to come back and carrying on with his legacy. And Miscavige is the acknowledged leader. Miscavige is the guy in charge. Everybody kowtows to him. And any effort that's ever been made, any resistance that's ever been offered, has always been stamped down. Does that mean it always will be? No, not necessarily. History tells us otherwise. 
So could Shelley be the source point of a coup against Miscavige? Probably not, because if I think if she was going to try to rile up a rebellion, she would have done so by now. Could independent Scientologists somehow go after Miscavige? No, not really. Nobody in Scientology listens to independent Scientologists. They're scum, they're squirrels, they're SPs. Nobody wants to give independent Scientologists the time of day within official Scientology. And that would be true of anybody, even somebody who was beaten to within an inch of their life by David Miscavige on Thursday, if the independents, you know, Scientologists rolled up to gold on Friday and said, we're here to take over, that same guy would tell them to go, you know, screw themselves. Uh, it's just not, you know, the degree of, of respect given to independent Scientologists within official Scientology is nil, none. There, there's none. So I don't see any kind of coup or, or rebellion or action being taken by independent Scientologists against the official Church of Scientology that's ever going to matter to a hill of beans. Don't see that at all. Um, so I don't think that David Miscavige is worried about an effort like that. And that's, I don't know, that's the best answer I think I can give you unless there's uh, something I'm not seeing in your, in your question. Um, okay, here's a good one. Uncle Radley asks, is there anything you miss about being a Scientologist? I miss some of my friends that I used to have. There were connections and people that I used to know in Scientology who were just awesome people. And I would love to reconnect with them. I have reconnected with some people that I knew in the church, but I haven't reconnected with those close, close friends that I had because they think I'm utter scum now for doing what I'm doing and having left the Sea Org and left Scientology. And I doubt that I'll ever be able to reconnect with them. But I, you know, but I do miss that. As far as Scientology itself goes, um, yeah, I will say one thing on this, just to be really open and transparent, is sometimes I really do miss that certainty that it gives, that answer, the, 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 the good feeling that is generated by having these, having certain emotional needs fulfilled of answers regarding purpose and meaning and what life is all about. These are, you know, I'm a big picture person. I always have been. And I'm always thinking, you know, at my slot in the world and, and where the world is going and what things are, you know, wh what are we all doing here and, what, you know, what's the, what's the point of all this? Scientology offered some really nice, simple answers to those questions that, that were very emotionally satisfying for me and which gave my life direction and um, gave me a feeling of satisfaction in my daily work, even if it was, you know, even if I was being abused in the process of doing that work, and I was a lot, um, I still felt I was fighting for a cause that was worth fighting for, and I thought that it was work that was worth doing regardless of the, the trials and tribulations of it. And in the real world, you don't have any of that. And the more I've learned, the more murky things have gotten, as I mentioned, right? The more you zoom in on the details of things and see things for how they really are, the less black and white you can be in your thinking, the less, uh, you know, sure you can be about anything. Uh, things start becoming very, you know, different uh, when you look at it through the lens of criticism and skepticism and critical thinking. And, 
and science, right? Where you realize that there are no solid answers. There are only possibilities. And, you, and, and Thomas Sowell's uh, wonderful quote about how there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. And that's how the real world really works. And Scientology's world doesn't work that way. It is so black and white in the Scientology world. It's so simple there. Uh, incredibly so. And you really, and that's why you don't have to see, that's why you see a lot of Sea Org members, especially, but Scientologists in general, that, you know, not having to think a lot because they don't want to, because the answers that they have are so good for them. And so satisfying for them, they don't want to give them up. You know, we talk about sunk cost fallacy and how people will invest in a thing. And so um, they, oh, geez. Uh, and how they, um, how they don't want to give it up because they've spent all this money or they've spent all this time. But that assumes that they want to give it up at all. When they don't, I, you know, for, for most Scientologists, they cherish those memories and ideas and uh, concepts of Hubbard because they offer them answers to questions that nobody else has the answers to or the answers that other people are providing don't make any damn sense to Scientologists. But Hubbard's answers somehow do make sense. And because they do, they hold on to them, you know, and, and that's... That's something that I do miss from time to time uh, in the chaos and, you know, tumultuousness of real life and the real world and the chaoticness of it. And realizing, for me, where I've come to is realizing there ain't nobody in charge. <laughs> there is no, you know, a, a objective uh, external sourced morality. There is no external source of meaning in your life. You got to figure it out for yourself. And, and that's fine. It gives us a lot of freedom there. But, you know, sometimes I kind of miss some of that. All right. So that was that. Uh, going on a ramble there. Okay. Good, good, good. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate the support, Juliana. Really appreciate that. Um, okay. Here we go. Uh, Ron Mowgli asks, are minors still being recruited to the SO? I was recruited when I was 15. But even then, they couldn't put me to work because I wasn't a UK resident and they couldn't fly me to the States. Um, I'm going to say that, yes, I don't have a specific example that I can give you from the last year or two of a minor being recruited into the Sea Org. But... Every time I thought they knocked it off, I have been proven wrong. So until I see evidence that they absolutely positively are not recruiting minors, my default answer is going to be, yeah, they're still doing it. Because they're always worse than you think, and there's no reason at all to give them the benefit of the doubt. So I cannot, again, point to a specific example, but I will say my answer to the question is going to be yes, unless uh, someone can prove otherwise. Uh, Vernon asks a very good question. Is there a way to donate to your channel on a yearly basis instead of month to month? Yes, Vernon, there is. And funny, you should ask. <laughs> I did not set this up. Uh, Patreon has an, uh, uh, the ability to provide an, an entire year 
of support and and it's a one and done you you say here's my yearly subscription or my yearly fee or my yearly support because it's really not a subscription but you uh, sign on for that you pay once and it's a done deal and it gets distributed to me over the year as that is how I understand it so if you wanted to do that patreon would be the way to go link in the description section below all right. In fact, I think, um, I wonder if it's here. Let me check. I made a link tree. I did one of those link tree things. And um, no, it's not in the description here. But the, um, the links in the description section of this video are at the bottom of the description section. There's a Patreon link and a PayPal link and all of that. So you all can check that out if you want to support the show. All right. Let's keep going. Um, Okay, OBG Foster asks a great question, piggybacking on Tawny Cameron. If the, LAP, if the LAPD were to conduct a raid to check on Shelly, what else and who else would they find? Jimmy Hoffa's body? Uh, you know, I, who knows what's up at CST? I, that's a great question because it's a mystery box. We have no idea what's up there. We only know what ex-staff front who have visited there or been there have told us and those are years old accounts so we don't know who else they'd find up there there may well be other um staff members or sea org members rather who have been relegated up there that nobody's heard or seen from in quite some time there could be you know um vaults of gold bullion there could be uh you know pallets of cash there could be weapon stashes or caches there could be ammo stored up there uh prepper supplies i mean who knows what they have up at cst this is the church of spiritual technology location where shelly is located up at big bear and odds are they've got all of the above i mean you know it's if it's true that this site is not only a vault for l ron hubbard's materials but is also supposed to be a safe space uh retreat for miscavige crews and other scientology vips if you know the world goes to hell then there could be anything and everything up there quite literally we have never really heard much about scientology stockpiling weapons or really be going in that you know sort of branch davidian direction where they become like a prepper cult uh in fact they're very bad at it at the lower levels of that i was uh in, in the year 2000 and the whole y2k uh lead up to that fiasco there were efforts made in the pack base at big blue to store rice and cereal and oats and, and, and water and, and supplies in case something horrible happened. And it was a shit show, man. It was an utter disaster. I mean, we had pallets of rice and pallets of oats, but really that was about it. Nobody really knew what the hell they were doing when it came to prepper planning at that level. Maybe the guys up higher might have better planning or better access to funds. Well, they certainly do have more money. But it's, it's interesting how stingy Scientology is at every single level. Uh, Mitch definitely communicated to me that uh, trying to get money for films or budgets and things like that, it was, they're tightwads at every level of Scientology. Um, and, it's, and that's kind of interesting to me. But if Miscavige wanted something like that done, believe me, it would get done, and the money is there for it. So, you know, so who knows what's up there? But it's a it's a great question to ask. Um, 
Okay, cool, cool. Oh, great question. Fabian Andiel asks, can you provide a reading list for mind control? Why, yes, um, I believe I can. In fact, let me pull up my website um, where I have books I recommend. And this actually goes to a... um, Oh, yeah, I should expand this. Um, I have a few books here, but um, but I should expand on this. I've got a uh, I've got two books listed on under psychology of cults and high control groups, which is one of them is called Intelligent Disobedience by Ira Chalif. And the other one is called The True Believer by Eric Hoffer. I would add to this the psychology of um, uh, thought reform and the psychology of totalism by Robert J. Lifton. That is the seminal work on that. I would also add Cults in Our Midst by Margaret Singer with uh, uh, assist by Dr. Yanya Lalich. That is a, these are fundamental books on cults and mind control. There is Combating Cult Mind Control by Steve Hassan. There is Opening Minds by John Atack. Absolutely essential reading if you want to understand thought reform or mind control or brainwashing. Um, those are actually the books I would throw out there first. Uh, you know, it's not a, you don't have to go deep in, into lots and lots and lots of books to get this. The basics are all covered there. I would also throw out... Um, Yes, I would also throw out some other books that I've put on my list here under critical thinking. Uh, The Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark by Carl Sagan. That book is not about brainwashing as such. It is how to unbrainwash yourself. It is about how to do critical thinking. Um, There's Michael Shermer's book, Why People Believe Weird Things. Um, there is a book called Flim Flam by James Randi, which uh, goes over various uh, scams and nonsense that people have tried to get away with over the years. And all of these are a real education in um, how to uh, avoid uh, nonsense. And then another book that is just kind of fun is David Eagleman's book called Incognito, The Secret Lives of the Brain. And that, after you've read all those other ones, reading that really gives you a nice, deeper look at the neuroscience and, you know, it's kind of the brain work that goes on behind a lot of this. So um, those are books I would throw out for you. Good. Let's keep going. Yeah, this silly thing just keeps bouncing up and down, and I have to go back up to the top and find my place again. So pardon me. Oh, there was a super chat there. Oh, a couple of them. Thank you, guys. Patty B. and Fabian Andiel. Um, Oh, sure. Fabian asked a question here from a super chat, so let's go ahead and jump on that one. Can you elaborate more on written confessionals? What does it do to the person's mind? I'm written confessionals. Do you mean OW write-ups over withhold write-ups? I'm going to assume that's what you're talking about when you say a written confessional. It's the only thing I can think of because confessionals in Scientology are um, are not are, are 
are written down questions, but they're asked verbally. So it's not, you know, so I, I anyway, I th- I'm going to assume that's what you're talking about. And um, what does it do to a person's mind? The thing about confessionals and about a confession culture in Scientology specifically, or any group that really focuses in on confession, is it creates a transparency ego-wise within you where you don't have the right to have secrets, and that means you don't really have the right to have your own identity, and that means you don't really have an identity. It You become assumed, you become merged or melded in a way mentally with the group. You become an extension of the group more so than your own individual self. I'm describing personal feelings that I've had in trying to figure out how to answer this question. Like, what does this do? Well, this is what it did to me, is it made me feel that I had to be open and transparent with, the, with Scientology at all times. That, um, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, so that I really didn't, I, I sort of saw myself as this sort of cog in the machine and that and my value was defined by have what service i was to the group and the con- and the constant confessions keep that sort of you know subservient attitude in place because you are constantly being reminded of the truth that you are an imperfect being that you have flaws you commit you know, errors, you commit overt acts, you do things that are wrong, moral transgressions. How dare you, you evil person. And it keeps you keeping yourself down. You know, it keeps you this self-image of, of, of a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a bad person. And it's only by the grace of Hubbard and Miscavige that I, you know, uh, live it all kind of thing, right? I mean, I, that's pretty extreme, but that's, that's kind of the road it takes you down. Um, it's, and that's why it is a control mechanism to use constant confession on people because this is the mindset you develop in them is guilt and, um, and, the, and the having to propitiate to the group constantly to make up for your guilt because you're being made to feel guilty all the time for all of your sins. You know, there's, it's, it's forgive but never forget. Right, so so they'll forgive you, but uh, you know, anytime you start going down the path again of of resistance, or you start thinking for yourself, uh, look what happened last time you did that. Better sit down and start writing, right? Or we're gonna put you on the cans, and we're going to, um, you know, and we're going to make you confess. So that's that's the best way I can uh, sort of explain that. Bo Beats, uh, thank you for that super chat question. Great show with Mitch. Do you trust his intentions? Yes, I do. I have spoken with Mitch for many, many hours, including a few years ago when he first got out. And, um, you know, and he was he was a little bit different then. Uh, he definitely has done some recovery work since that time. And I, But I never questioned his intentions in terms of escaping from Scientology, wanting to get his head straight, 
and wanting to, you know, contribute to the motion here of exposing what Scientology is all about. That's, I, I have no doubt in, you know, from all of my ability to read people that that's what he's doing. Um, and I, and I wish him the best in that effort. And I'm trying to, trying to help him in that. All right. So let's carry on here. Um, go back up earlier. There we go. Sorry, you'll have to, uh, Bear with me as I cycle through the questions from earlier here. Um, awesome, awesome. Yes, exactly. As John Poe mentions earlier here, it doesn't help, though, with the amount of money dumped into the LAPD by the church. That's exactly right. That's how they buy that influence. Um Oh, here's a great question. Vernon asks, will children who go to Delphi eventually be recruited to the Sea Org? Sometimes. Um, uh, The Delphi, Oregon campus especially, but also Delphi, LA, were fertile recruiting grounds for Sea Org members. And we went up there all the time. I went there. That's how I went to Delphi a couple times was to do Sea Org recruitment. So, yeah, that is absolutely something that can and will happen to Delphi students. It waxes and wanes from my experience. Sometimes, you know, Delphi is like hands off. No Sea Org recruiters can come up here. And then after enough time, they get worn down or threatened with ethics or, you know, put in their place. And the Sea Org recruiters start coming around again. And then some flap happens. And then, you know, they can't come for a while. So it it goes back and forth over the years. I've watched that. But, yes, if you're sending your kid to a Delphi school, there is absolutely a chance that they will be recruited for the Sea Org. Whether they join or not, they're going to try. Yeah, I I would think the chances are better yes than no uh, in answering that question. Um. Oh, yeah. Okay, here's a great question. The Search for Truth asks, There was a post made by Mike Rinder about David Miscavige being a squirrel, according to LRH. I've heard you and John Atak say something similar in the past. Why do you think that current Church of Scientology don't agree? Because they're in a cult mindset, and they're not looking clearly at the facts of what David Miscavige is doing versus what L. Ron Hubbard policy says. It is called motivated reasoning. You, you can reason your way to any conclusion you want based on any set of facts that are presented to you. If your emotions or if your feelings or if your needs are such that you need A and B to be true then even if fact X, Y, and Z completely contradict A and B, you will make X, Y, and Z make sense to you so that you can hold on to the idea that A and B are true. Okay, we see this everywhere all the time. Flat earthers, for example, will do this. So let's take a look at that, for example. The mere fact that there are scientists who are saying that they are wrong is to them proof of the conspiracy that they are right. Textbooks, official publications from science that say that flat earthers are wrong is proof to them that they are right. There is no set of facts, no set of observations, no scientific experiments you can carry out or conduct 
live, you know, or on video, that a flat earther will believe. Every single fact you give them is slotted into their narrative to make it make sense that the earth is flat and there is a vast conspiracy to say that the earth is round. That's a flat earther's way of thinking. Scientologists are no different. They need to believe that David Miscavige knows what he's doing. They need to believe that he's in charge. They need to believe that he has a mandate from L. Ron Hubbard and that he is carrying forward in Hubbard's legacy. They have to believe that's true. Because if that's not true, then that means they've been being lied to. And that means that they've been wasting their money, wasting their time. And as I was saying earlier, all those purpose and meaning uh, needs that they have don't count for anything. And they are not about to question that. They can't. They don't have the emotional temerity or critical thinking skills to do it. They're too invested. They must believe that David Miscavige is the savior figure that has taken over Farrell Ron Hubbard. And they're not going to question it. And that's why, basically, right? Once you start questioning, once something happens to start snapping you out of that headspace, as it did with me and as it did with every other ex that, you, that you're hearing from, then that those needs start coming down and the ability to critically think and ask questions starts coming up. And once those things pass each other, that's when the person snaps out of it fully and wakes up and goes, holy cow, this guy is not only not a leader figure, David Miscavige is not only not doing the job, he's actually taking actions that would cause L. Ron Hubbard to declare him suppressive in a microsecond. It's that bad, right? The things that David Miscavige has done to alter and change Scientology. But oddly, and this was the, thing, this was the big Mitch revelation for me, is David Miscavige himself doesn't even see that. And that's wild. That's really wild. Because um, I can explain this in terms of, you know, belief and flat earthers and Scientologists and all that. But to, but to realize that Miscavige himself is in that convoluted headspace makes it, you know, well, you've heard me say, it makes, it, it makes him so much more dangerous. So, uh, so there we go on that. Um, okay, before seeing this, putting our show... Oh, cool. All right, cool. Um, yeah, I'm probably not going to be able to make it up to Fort Collins. Uh, but thank you very much for that invite, Exxion. Um Yeah, that's I, I got nothing on that one. Um, yes. Yes. Um, okay, good, Tony. I'm glad my answer made sense to you. Uh, X-Cyan asks, do you know a person named Goldie who is a moderator for other X-Scientology channels? Do you know about her? No, I, I do know about her. No, I do not know her personally. Um, you know, good for her. But uh, no, I do not know her personally. Um, okay, Henny. Henny, hey, Henny. Will David Miscavige be served as the person responsible for children slash human trafficking? Uh, I will say eventually, 
<laughs> you know, there's been enough effort being made here. And, uh, you know, yeah, eventually that'll, you know, those chickens will come home to roost. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know what means it's going to happen by. Maybe these current lawsuits, maybe more in the future. You know, the, the ex-children of Scientology have definitely found their footing and found voices to represent them, and uh, some good, some bad, right, in terms of the lawyering. Uh, we've seen some good lawyering. We've seen some not-so-good lawyering. Um, but eventually, I'm sure by the law of you know probability and everything else, they'll, they'll make it stick. Because Scientology is a labor and child trafficking organization. It's true. That's what they do. So it's really just a matter of making a hard enough case and making it stick. I would love to see that being brought forward in a criminal case rather than just a civil case. The stakes are so much higher and and the punishments are so much stricter. Um, But... You know, what's it going to take for the FBI to get off their ass? You know, that's a question I've asked a million times. But I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so, Henny. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yeah, if I had realized how much confusion there was going to be, Patty B says here, I wish I'd seen your interview with Mitch first. Others became so confused that the commenters actually wondered if he was promoting... Uh, Cox or a plant from the church. They didn't get his unique status. Yeah, it was really quite wild watching people negatively react to Mitch and his interviews uh, on other channels. I was like, wow, man, people are really missing the boat on what this is all about. I'm a, you know, I, I'm trying to do the deeper dive on this channel because you can see the results of, a, of, of not doing that. You know, people don't get the really accurate look at what this stuff is all about. And I really think we all do a disservice when we don't really go into the details of what this stuff is all about and make it so black and white, all bad, all good, you know, this kind of approach. I understand it, but I don't, uh, I, you know, I, I think a more nuanced take is is a better way to approach this stuff because you get the deeper look at what's really up with people like Mitch, people like me, people like, you know, Mike, and, you know, the, the, the what the experience of Scientology really is. It's, it's not all just, you know, torture sessions and being locked up in a basement. There's, there's good and there's bad. There's right and there's wrong. And, and, and we should be looking at all of that. Uh, of course, obviously, some total is it's bad, you know. But that doesn't mean there aren't some, um, aren't some good things on there. Okay. Um, all right. Um, yeah, like, you know, saying, uh, as Love Food Kitchen here says, Love Foo Kitchen says, um, I have no idea what was going on with the commentators. I was embarrassing saying he was an OSA plant, for God's sake. Yeah, that's that's just kind of silly. Um, okay. Da, 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 da. Yeah, no. Uh, has not. Okay. Thank you for the heart. Yep, good. You're very welcome, Uncle Radley. Oh, Vernon. Okay, another great question. Do Scientology parents start their children really young on courses? Mine did. <laughs> and yes, a lot of Scientology parents do. A lot. In fact, I'll say most of them. Um, and there are now children's courses. There, there weren't that many when I was growing up in the 70s. We were doing the adult stuff. But 
Um, but now there are children's grammar courses and children's uh, study courses and a children's communications course. And, and kids sign up for those things and do them. And, uh, and even a purification rundown. I've seen kids as young as like 10 in the sauna, which is disgusting to me. What the hell would you be detoxing a 10-year-old for? But Scientology will do it, right? Because it's, you know, all about that money. Uh, so, yeah, that's, um, you know, that's where you, that, that's where you're going to find that sort of thing happening all over in the Scientology world. They definitely start them young. Um, okay, great. Uh, cool, 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 guys. Oh, here's a great question. God's girl. Oh, hey, it's on the screen. Oh, good. Now that finally uh, we got into the area where I can throw them on the screen. Awesome. Have you ever researched if another religion may have the answers you long for? Yes, I have. And I have not found one. Um, It's not been for lack of looking. Okay, you guys know me as an atheist agnostic person. I'm not uh, big on uh, having a God figure in my life. Uh, merely because I don't think that, you know, from the way I think about the world and I think about the cosmos and the grand enormity of it all, it makes no sense to me that we are singled out as special for some reason because statistically, probability-wise, there are the universe is probably teeming with life all over. So why would we be unique? I can't really subscribe to, uh, you know, a God belief that we're the special ones. Um, also, I think when I look at the enormity of the universe and the and the, the the complexity of ourselves and our brains and life and the universe itself, I, I I think to myself that the very idea or suggestion that we could understand even the tiniest bit of the tiniest bit of a creator figure, you know, the power of such a figure would be beyond our imagination. Um, you know, so again, why would he care about us, right? It doesn't make any sense to me. That's why I can't subscribe to any of the modern, you know, mainstream religions on the planet is because they just don't make logical sense to me any more than the Xenu story does. But, you know, people can believe whatever they want. I don't care. It's, I'm not going to rag on you because you believe differently than me. I'm just answering the question, right? So, um, so, um, you know, I have uh, I have different conceptions of how things could be. You know, I kind of dig the simulation theory a little bit. I think that's kind of an interesting take. Uh, because if it was all a simulation, if this was all a simulation, would that deny God? Not at all. But what would the real world look like? Oh, my God, who knows, right? If this was all just a simulation like the Matrix... Is this what the real world looks like, or is it very, very different outside the simulation? You know, questions like that will drive you crazy. You'll just spin around for hours thinking about that kind of stuff. So that's, you know, so that's why I don't have a, a, a religious belief as such. But I'm always open to possibilities, always. But I just don't want dumb possibilities. I don't want people telling me the earth's flat and that's the answer to everything. Or, you know, uh, the simpleton answers. I don't believe in them. So that's where I tend to stray from, you know, modern religious thinking. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, yes, thank you guys. Thank you for your support. I really appreciate your supportive comments uh, here in the stream. 
All right, Xion asks, you've been to a lot of musters. Yes, I have in your life. How did the ones at the org compare to the ones in the Sea Org? Did you like them? Okay, I never liked musters. Okay, every, um, okay, in the, in, as a Scientology staff member and as a Sea Org member, you will muster up as a group. Uh, to get briefings or get a, you know, little let's get rallied and go before you start your production for any one day, right? So if you come in, you know, when I worked at the Church of Scientology uh, in Santa Barbara, uh, we would muster in the evenings at 6.30, you know, get everybody together, account for everybody, do the announcements, and then send everybody on their way. Uh, on Saturday and Sunday, we would muster up in the morning at like 8.45 or something, right? And course started at 9 o'clock. And it was the same kind of drill. And the Sea Org, it's even more formalized. And everybody's in lined up in divisional order. And, you know, yes, sir, we're here, sir, and all that. Everybody's saluting and all this nonsense. Um, I never enjoyed any of that, right? It, it all just seemed kind of kind of silly. But it was a way to account for everybody and make sure everybody was there on time. And if anybody had slept in or something, you know, they'd get chased up by the ethics guys. And that that never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> I never slept in. Uh, so, yeah, you know, musters were just annoying. Hey, Neil the Atheist. Hey, man. Welcome to the show. All right. Uh, carry on here. What is the... You know, here's a good question. Fabian asks, um, what is the obsession with Shelley Miscavige? She could very well be her husband's partner in crime. Well, for many years she was. But Leah has done a brilliant job of creating an individual that people can care about who is in a position that she really shouldn't be in as a result of David Miscavige's cruelty. It's true, right? I mean, even if Shelley is a horrible person and all accounts are that she is not, Mitch knew her, Mike Rinder knew her, Tom DeVock knew her, uh, Marty knew her, Amy Scobie knew her, uh, Janice knew her. Like, nobody's out here talking about what a bitch Shelly Miscavige is. And I think there's a reason for that, right? I don't think she was a cruel person. I think David Miscavige was a cruel person. I think Shelly rationalized and justified and enabled David Miscavige's cruelty but so did everybody else around him. She was by his side, but so were lots of other people. So Shelley was mistreated by Miscavige as a result of all of this, and so she makes for a great slogan or figure or figurehead or, or representation of what Scientology and David Miscavige has, has devolved into. And for that reason... The Where Shelley hashtag and the whole effort to, you know, sort of get everybody rallied around that is a is a really great, you know, way to fight Scientology and engage in some activism. And that, that's that's kind of how I see it. Um, she becomes more than a person. She becomes this rallying cry sort of thing. Right. Um, but she is a, at the end of the day, she is a person. And she's a person who is trapped in the prison of belief, just like every other person in Scientology. And she was not noted for her individual cruelty or uh, abusive nature or viciousness. And for that reason, 
you know, we can look to her as a sympathetic figure rather than a, um, you know, than an, uh, than an abuser or predator. Yeah. Okay. There you go is my answer on that one. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, good questions here today. Is this generous to be brought to a hotel lunch? Not sure. Okay, here's a question. Anthony, Henny, I'm not sure how to answer this question you asked. What I meant to ask was if children are still being brought to a hotel where adults dress up and children are considered adults in little bodies. I, I don't understand. Yes, that's happening. So I'm not sure what the question exactly is there. Uh, you know, are children still being brought up in the Sea Org and mistreated? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Uh, other than that, I'm not sure what exactly you're asking. So I'm happy to, to take that up if you have more on that. Okay, Anthony here asks, will destructive cults be with us forever? Will we ever move past them? Um, yes, they will always be with us. No, we will never move past them because there will always be human beings who have a predatory nature to them and want to take advantage of other people by preying on their hopes and dreams. And as long as that is true, um, which as far as I can tell will always be true of human beings, there will always be destructive cult relationships, codependency, and cultic abuse. It's that simple, right? Uh, whether it's religious in nature, whether it's self-help in nature, whether it's uh, you know some other form of group abuse, predatory people are predatory people. And the best thing we can do is educate ourselves as to how to fight it, how to recognize it, how to fight it, how to get away from it. Right? That's what we can do. Um, it's kind of like asking, will we always need to eat food? Yeah. You know, will we always need sleep? Yeah, we will. <laughs> you know, it's the same kind of human nature kind of question, at least as far as, as I can tell. All right. Um, oh, here's a great question. Escaping the cult verse. What was the hardest cultic personality characteristic to shed in your recovery journey? What do you still struggle with to this day? And how do you get through the tough days? That's a damn tough question. Let me think about that for a second. The certainty thing that I was talking about earlier is a big one, but I think I, I think what I struggle with the most is um, self doubt over ego. You know, when am I being an egotistical jerk, and when am I being a critical thinker, and when am I just being stupid? <laughs> Those three choices plague me <laughs> from time to time. Um, oh, but here's the biggest one, actually. Here's the biggest one. Actually, yeah, this is the one. You know, I've talked for years about the onion layers. We talk about this in the cult space, right? How you're stripping away layers of an onion when you come out of a cult. Belief after belief, and you're drilling down, down, down to try to get to your real self, to who are you? 
what did you want as a child? What, what, who is your, what, what are you? What, what's your personality really all about? Uninfluenced by all this cultic nonsense or external nonsense. Who, who are you, right? And probably the deepest I've been able to get to in that has been getting down to this idea that I am only as valuable as I can serve other people, which is an altruistic way of looking at the world, but it's also a slave's viewpoint. So there's a good and there's a bad side to that coin of serving others. And if you define your life by other people's reactions to you or, or satisfying other people, you will very quickly learn, I think, and maybe it'll take you a long time like it did me, took me 42 years to like start realizing this is a road to the ultimate trap because your entire life will be defined by how others see you. It's the same kind of trap as a celebrity fame trap, right? As long as your life is defined by how other people see you, you are constantly going to be searching for approval from other people and you will never, ever, ever be satisfied with yourself. Because you're only because you're constantly judging yourself through other people's eyes, and this this only began to occur to me when I was 42 years old, starting to question Scientology for real and getting myself out of it. And 10 years later, here I sit, saying this is still challenging, this is still a problem. Um, but it's after years of drilling down through that onion. And going through the whole thing I've talked about so many times of saving the world, got to save the world. I don't have to save the world anymore. That's totally gone. I know that that's impossible. But then there was this lower point, this even more basic point of, oh, I'm only as valuable as I'm serving other people, right? And that's something I still struggle with. Excuse me. And I believe that that is something that was instilled in me or that I adopted as a way of living even earlier than my Scientology experience. And so Scientology was able to glom onto and hook onto that. If there was some hook in my psyche that allowed Scientology to burrow down in and take control of my identity, it was that. And that's as deep as I've gone. That's as deep as I can go and describe to you, you know, what Scientology kind of did to me psychologically. Um, yeah, that to answer that question, you know, that I and and that I do still struggle with to this day because again, it becomes a question of, you know, if I push back against that and want to do something for myself, am I being an ego monster? Because I'm not serving other people's interests? It's a tough question some days, you know? Um, and that, you know, that can be a driver for me. And some days I can see it from the good side of the coin of that, and some days I, can, I, I, I am beating down on myself. It, and I shouldn't be doing that, right? And I can kind of see that, but it's a struggle. So... Uh, just being totally open on that one. Wow. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the answer to the question. All right, let's keep going. I am, I am really enjoying your questions today, guys. Keep, keep them coming. This is good. 
Um, Sandy Yerkins asked an interesting question. Sandy Yerkins Powers, would Shelly's handlers also be banned like Shelly? No, uh, Shelly's handlers and the other people around her are going to be trusted people. They're going to be people who are loyal to Miscavige before they're loyal to, to Shelly. They're going to be people who are going to answer daily or weekly in a report to Miscavige on her actions and activities and any red flags with her. So they're not going to be people who were banned or are in bad favor. They're going to be people who Miscavige, for whatever reason, trusts to get the job done that he wants them doing, right? Uh, that's the guard role that they hold. So, um, so no, I don't think they're going to be banned people. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Yes, very true. That's right. That's right. Great message, Rev Girl. Absolutely true. Any OSA watchers out there? There is help out here. There really is. All right. Despite all the controversy and conflict, there is help out here. Okay. The Aftermath Foundation does uh, does good work. Um. Okay, let's carry on here. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, I can do more on those books. I can, I can throw some more stuff out there on that stuff. Um, all right, let's keep going. I, it popped down to the beginning, so now I got to go back on up to the top. <laughs> Bo Beat Super Chat question. Have you skydove? My pick is me in the air. Try it. I will never ever go skydiving thank you for asking me Bo. now i'm gonna i'm gonna surprise you guys because my mother has been skydiving <laughs> but uh i'm not doing it i have a horrific fear of um of dying by falling of i i, I do not enjoy free fall i never have and so um so no i i, I will not be doing that but thank you for the invitation all right, um, let's go back up, make sure I'm not missing anything. I, I always miss questions, and I'm trying not to do that this time. Uh, boy, there's a lot here, which is great. Yes, Flat Earthers have, uh, have members all around the world. Okay, here's a great question. Tina and the last 20. What drives us to seek spiritual fulfillment from outside sources? As awful as this answer might sound, I hope it doesn't come across as awful because I don't mean it in a derogatory or demeaning way. I really don't. I really don't, okay? Um, this is going to be a little bit of a, one of those uh, more nuanced answers, I think, um, where I'm going to ask for you to just kind of go with me for a little bit here, right? The big wide world is not full of thinking people who are philosophical in nature. They're, the, the world is full of most, you know, if you look at the bell curve of the world, um, people are struggling in their lives and they're just trying to meet their basic needs and they're just trying to get along in life and to get along with other people and figure out their way and, and figure out the best way to, to do that. 
then there are predatory people who couldn't give a shit about anybody else but themselves, never think about anybody else, and just prey on other people. The criminals and, you know, those type of folks, right? Uh, scammers, trolls, you know, that, you know, and then they're all over the place, right? We see uh, from India to China to America, scammers are everywhere and predators are everywhere and cult leaders are everywhere. So you have that kind of person who is willing to, you know, sell other people on uh, completely goofball, silly ideas just simply because other people will buy it. Why do they buy it? Why? Because they don't have the imagination, time, or energy, or education, or resources to find the answers for themselves. Or they don't think they're capable of finding the answers for themselves. Maybe it's, an, maybe it's not an intellectual problem or a, a finance problem. Maybe it's an it's a, um, ego problem, right? They don't feel worthy of being able to find the answers, and they want somebody else to give it to them. And by, by numbers, by statistics, that's most people. Um, I, you know, I find as an educator and as somebody who likes to do deep dives into philosophical issues or Scientology issues that uh, other people don't, right? I mean, it's obvious. And, uh, and that's okay. It, the world is full of a large variety of people. But when you ask the question, you know, why, what, what drives us to seek fulfillment from outside sources is because we can't find it for whatever reason, whether it's intellectual, psychological, cultural, you know, moral, egotistical, for whatever reason, they can't find the answer within themselves. They need somebody else to tell them what's up. And so they go looking, right, for someone else who's going to have all the answers, and that's probably the first step down the road toward the prison of belief is I don't have the answers. I can't find the answers myself. I need somebody else to give them to me. You know, and uh, that's how I see it, at least from my, my perspective, because I'm big on finding my own answers. Right. So, of course, I'm going to make that, you know, model it that way. Maybe there's other ways of answering that question, but that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. But I really don't mean that at, to say, and therefore all those people are less than I am because I can find my own answers. That's not my point at all. This is not a value judgment thing. This is just how I think the world is, right? Is there are people who need to be told what to do. There are people who need answers furnished by other people because they can't come up with them themselves. You know, uh, it's, it's our nature, right? We'd rather have something than nothing. And I'll take something from somebody else rather than have the nothing that I, you know, that, that, that they can't come up with. So hope that makes sense. I really do. Um. Oh, that's a good question, Yonga. I'll have to ask Yong. I hope I, Jonga Matador. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Did Mitch create any of those Scientology propaganda videos? I'm going to have to ask him. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, they're certainly done in the Scientology style, but lots of people have been making those videos over the years, so it's hard to hard to say. I'll have to ask Mitch about that. That's a good. Good one. He and I are doing another interview this week. I've got, I've already got like two pages of bullet point questions for him. Uh, I, I think, I think he and I are going to have more than one more conversation. If I, if I have my, uh, if, if I think, if it goes the way I think it will. Uh, 
Um, all right, let's see how we're doing here. Oh, wow. A lot of people watching. That's great. Okay. Um, R.R. Smith asks, have you or anyone done a deep dive on what caused Lisa McPherson to have a psychotic break? Any of the effects of solitary confinement on that condition? R.R., um, the reports on um, uh, Lisa, sorry, the reports about Lisa McPherson are that her psychotic break happened and was uh, incited by activity be- prior to her solitary confinement. Um, she had been being fed a steady diet of Scientology crazy uh, for months and had ultimately ended up having this psychotic episode for reasons that I, I don't, all the details of it do not occur to me at this moment. But this psychotic break absolutely happened before they went and grabbed her and put her into uh, this confinement. And her confinement was never solitary. She was always with someone else. So it wasn't quite exactly a solitary confinement situation for her where she was if I remember right, where she was beaten on the walls and stuff, she was in a bed. She was very, very bad off. She was uh, physically and uh, I mean, just, um, all kind of the ultimate and sleep deprivation and food deprivation and, and the psychosis that, that had sort of taken over her mind. And she wasn't eating and they were having to force feed her. And it was, it was the most disgusting off the rails, you know, set of uh, of circumstances I've ever I've ever seen in Scientology. Her death was was absolutely awful, um, but I don't think solitary was was an aspect of that. Um, a lot of analysis and look has been done at what caused Lisa McPherson the, the, to the events that led to her psychotic break. And again, I'm not, you know, it's been a long time since I've done that dive, so all the details of it are, are not occurring to me at this moment. I know there were uh, confessionals and OW write-ups and a lot of evaluation being done of her and who she was in her situation. So, you know, so somehow all of this came together as a, as a sort of toxic cocktail of awful and she and her mind broke, and then, and it never really did come back together before she died. Um, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. So, yeah. So uh, at some point, maybe I should do something on that one because um, I never really have. To, I, it's it felt like it was already so well covered and detailed. I mean, there's a whole Wikipedia page on it. There's lots of details out there about her whole story. So I felt kind of redundant and maybe doing my own video about it. So I never have. Um, I don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe I should take a look at that one at some point. Just telling you guys why I've never done it. You know, I've been I've been doing other stuff. But it's a good question. Um, okay, that's very very true. That's very very true. Um, yes. Oh yes, yes yes. Chris Wood asked a great question. Has anyone from Scientology or the Sea Org ever reached out to you or harassed you? Also, what do you think about the term live, laugh, love? Okay. Um, Yes. Uh, I I don't know if you all remember, but somebody offered to buy my YouTube channel. It was the most overt action Scientology's ever taken in my direction. I do not have any evidence of them following me or stalking me or harassing me in person in real life. 
I've had online trolling and I've had, you know, goofy, stupid stuff happen to me uh, as far as emails I've received and trolly comments I've received. But I have not gotten the, the full Leah Mike treatment by, at all. And other people have. And that's always been very interesting. I'm not in this to get fair gamed, but it's just been interesting. But I did have a guy reach out to me, this was a few years ago, and offer me you know, a few thousand dollars for my YouTube channel. And I was like, dude, my, my, uh, the price for my freedom of speech is not a few thousand dollars. Um, you know, I sort of played with him a little bit uh, and was like, you know, how much are you going to give me, right? <laughs> like, you know, 100,000, a couple million. Uh, but, you know, it's not for sale. So I, you know, so it didn't go anywhere. We ended up posting those emails on Tony's blog, by the way. This was, this was years ago. So I don't know if you want to look that up. As far as live, laugh, love, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to tattoo that on the other side of my, uh, of my body here. My motto for life, which I don't live up to all the time. I wish I was better at this, um, you know, but, I, but my motto for life is it's chaos, be kind. I, I had that tattooed on my body because I believe in it so strongly and it's, and it's a reminder to me to, you know, chill the fuck out sometimes and realize other people have their struggles too and don't be mean, you know, and I, and I try really hard. Um, uh, but live, laugh, love would be maybe what I should put over here. What I'm, what I'm going to tattoo over here when I get the, the time and money to do it is uh, why so serious? <laughs> I, think that, I think that's a good set of, uh, of things to have on my body. But, uh, but I, I, I'm fully in agreement with the concept of uh, live, laugh, love. All right. Uh, let's carry on here uh, with the questions. They keep coming in. You want someone else? Exactly. Oh, okay. Sandy Yerkins Powers. Are your parents still in? Are you talking to them? No, neither of my parents are uh, still involved with the Church of Scientology officially. And yes, I do talk to both of my parents. I talk to my mom almost every week. Um, she's completely, completely out. She left it behind uh, back in the 1980s. My dad still has some Scientology beliefs. Right, he would he would be somebody you might consider an independent Scientologist, um, but barely. I mean, it's not like he's connected with the you know any of the groups or anything. He just kind of does his own thing. Uh, but I love my dad, and and he and I definitely do still talk. All right, uh, carry on here. Yes, yes, all very true. Um, okay, good. It's in over 15 again. <laughs> Just going down the list. You guys are have awesome conversations with, with one another in the comments as we go. That's why I love, that's why I love live streams, seeing, seeing all the interactions and stuff. Um, all right. Question. I live in Palm Springs. Is there an org here? No, there is not. Nope. I don't think there's even a mission or anything out there. Um, okay, question. Okay, here's a question. Chris, is there a particularly good example of a cult being taken down or dismantled or disbanding that you think might be good to learn from, and how could we apply that to Scientology? Yes, I do. Nexium. 
I think there are a lot of lessons to learn in Nexium with Scientology as far as prosecution and as far as how they went about going after them. Um, and I think a RICO case, uh, I think uh, racketeering uh, would be the way to go after Scientology legally. Um, and I think that, because um, that's how they take down the mafia, right? And Scientology is an awful lot structurally, organizationally, it's an awful lot like the mafia. So I think that is how they should go about prosecuting Scientology. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Uh, but I think that there isn't a lot to learn. Now, Now, Nexium wasn't taken down by RICO, but I think what I was thinking about there was the fact that if you take down the leader, you learn it doesn't actually end it. There are still, to this day, Keith Ranieri supporters. There's a lesson there to be learned, right, is that you can knock out the organization, you can take out all of its assets, and still have people going and being part of it. And the independent Scientology movement also uh, speaks to that. So you have to really define what you mean when you say we're going to take out Scientology. What do, you, what do you mean by that, right? There's a lot of misconceptions out there about it. For example, people think that if we get rid of their tax exemption, they will no longer have um, religious recognition in the courts, and that's not true. If Scientology has their tax exemption taken away, they still will be legally recognized as a religious institution and get away with the stuff they get away with hiding behind the First Amendment. They just will have to pay taxes. So both of those things would need to be knocked out in order for Scientology to, to lose its religious status and be considered a business, which is kind of what it is. Um, at least that's my understanding of how things are structurally with this group. So, but do we need to take out tax exemption to take out Scientology? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe a RICO case could do it. I mean, you know, that's what I mean. There's different ways of approaching this um, that we can learn from from these other groups. The Mafia being one of these groups and Nexium being another one. Uh, maybe there's some other ones, but those are the first things that come to mind for me in, in answering that one. Um, all right. Oh, that disappeared. Okay, good. Let's carry on here. Oh, good. I'm glad, Fabian, that I inspired you to read Caldini. It, yeah, it was mind-blowing, isn't it? It's really enlightening reading some of this stuff on influence. Um, and especially how scarcity also means to ban something and you spark more interest. That's exactly right, right? That's exactly right, which is why the whole concept of banning Scientology is such a bad idea because all it will do is rile up interest in Scientology more than ever before just because of our human nature. It's crazy, but it's true. All right, and let's go ahead and move toward wrapping up because we've been at this for a little while now. Um, Kelly Cross asks me, do current Scientologists ever reach out to you trying to leave? Yes, they do. And that's almost all I can say about it. But yes, they do. And I do help them. And I have helped them. But I can't talk about it for obvious reasons. Uh, okay. Good. Uh, oh, good. Good, good, good. Thank you, guys. I'm glad. Oh, hey, Mitch is watching. Excellent. Um... 
Oh, good question, Kelly. Did my wife have a hard time understanding what I went through? Yes, she did. Um, she's watched a number of documentaries and uh, movies and stuff about cults, and that has helped her a great deal in understanding my experience. Um, and she's, you know, right here by my side uh, all the time, which is awesome. Uh, but, yeah, and she pretty much understands it now, but it did take a while. It really did. It's a very unique, uh, you know, I've led an interesting life. And, um, and I get to say that much, you know, and it's hard for some people to really understand all the depths of it. Um, I've done my best to explain it over the years here, and, uh, and Mel has done a fantastic job of, of working to, to really get where I'm coming from, and she's awesome that way. So, yeah. Uh, oh, Fabian, I missed the super chat earlier. Aren't you way too nice and empathetic to be a Sea Org member? Or any other authoritarian org. Uh, <laughs> that's why I didn't last. <laughs> it was a problem. It was a problem in my time in the Sea Org. It really was. I would bump up against other Sea Org members uh, because they were not empathetic. And I was. And I was trying to treat my crew properly. Or I was trying to be nice. Or I was trying to get bonuses. Or I was trying to help people. And they weren't down with that. And it, was a, and it really was a struggle sometimes. Uh, as a Sea Org member, I clashed with seniors and executives all the time over this kind of thing. Um, it wasn't my nature to be there. It was my duty to be there. And that's what set me apart from other people in the Sea Org, I think, in a significant way. Uh, because I kind of assumed everybody was there for that reason. And I've come to learn, you know, that was not the case. And that's been very interesting. Um, so, yeah. All right, let's do one or two more and we will wrap up here. Um, oh, God, yes. Oh, OBG Foster, the great, yes, absolutely. Doesn't having the answer for all of humanity for a billion years engender a group narcissism? Yes, it does. That's exactly what it does. And that's exactly why Scientology creates little narcissists all the time. Every day, and and it did it in within me. It does it in every single Sea Org member, and it is a contagious condition in that group, and it's awful. Uh, but it abs. That's exactly what that belief does, and it does it in other groups too, not just Scientology. There are extreme levels, and this is what I speak of when I talk about a spectrum of extremism. That you know, what do we mean when we talk about extremism? We're talking about people who are absolutely sure they have the one and only right answer, and nobody else does. And how dare you question otherwise? And I have to, you know. Uh, live uh, incite violence against you uh, to to you know to counter your your falseness because I have all the answers. Oh yeah, the narcissism is rampant in uh, in such groups. Um, okay, carry on here. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> oh, that's a Rajneesh saying. Okay, thank you for the heads up there, Joe. Appreciate knowing that. I think I might avoid having to get that uh, tattooed. Thank you for, uh, I, I, you know, we should look that up. Um, yes, absolutely. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you very much for your kind words here. All right, so let's go ahead and wrap up. I think we've been at this for a while. This has been a lot of fun. I've, I, I thank you for your patience. 
uh, enduring my nonsense at the beginning with the mic and everything. I am, uh, I'm really glad we had a successful Q&A here today. And uh, yes, and all of that being said, you will see, excuse me, you'll see a, uh, you should see an after Scientology straight up and vertical with me and Tony tomorrow. And we'll see what the week brings in terms of uh, any other content. And yes, you guys have a good day too. Bye-bye, guys.